Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. Not because I was a bandwagon guy because they won all those championships, but I, I really was following uh, 
Anthony Smith. He's one of my favorite players of all time. But, but I used to be a Cowboys fan back, uh, back in the day. Um, in fact, I think I kept a couple of jerseys. I don't fit in them anymore because um, that was like high school or middle school or something like that. Uh, but anyway, I, I'll, I'll get away from that. But, but turn around. Um, he didn't go draft, or he didn't get drafted because he went to a small school. Yet, he finds himself ending up on the Dallas Cowboys, one of the, one of the biggest teams of, of all time, whether you love them or not. Um, but he ends up going to three Pro Bowls. He ends up, at that time, having games with three or more touchdown passes uh, and, and had set the record at that time for 27. It was previously held by Danny White for 20. Uh, he set team records. He had games with 300-plus yards uh, passing at 40, previously held by the uh, Hall of Famer Troy Aikman at 13. So he crushed that, that uh, statistic there. Uh, team touchdown passes, 177. Uh, again, previously held by Aikman with 165. So here you have a guy who's undrafted, probably went unknown. And even at first, when he does get on the Cowboys team, he didn't, he didn't have a great start. He didn't have a great ending either. It was kind of in the middle that he did well. But they never really uh, did go to any championships or anything. But, but he, was a, he was a decent quarterback in his time. Uh, going to the next one, Warren Moon. Yeah, I think we have some pictures up here. Uh, next one is Warren Moon. This is, this is back in the day. Uh, this is back in the like, 80s and 90s. I remember having like uh, uh, cards, like baseball cards and football cards, and I had a bunch of his back back when I was growing up. Maybe in the 80s and 90s, Warren Moon was, was one of the, the top um, quarterbacks back in the day. But even in this time, uh, he faced a lot, of, a lot of adversity because he was a black quarterback. And back then, unfortunately, we're still fighting this stupid... Uh, battle of racism today, um, and, and I don't understand it. Um, and, and let me just say this: if, if you have issues with that, this is probably the wrong church for you. Um, I'm just gonna because because it's evil, it's wrong, and we don't play like that here. And I'm just gonna throw that out there um, for you. Um, love you, but that's that's not how we roll. That's not how God rolls. Um, anyway, so I'm just gonna keep going from there. Um, 17 years he played in the NFL, retired with records for the most passing yards, completions, and touchdowns. He became a 2006 Hall of Famer, even in the midst of it, the league didn't even want him the time he came in. Yet, he was one of the one of those quarterbacks back in the day that was so so good and fun to watch. Antonio Gates, uh, he was undrafted because he played basketball in Kent State, his college in Kent State. He was a tight end with the Chargers, eight-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro uh, tight end, Antonio Gates. Uh, was an amazing uh, tight end. John Randall uh, was considered too small. He was a defensive tackle for both the Vikings and the Seahawks. Became a 2010 Hall of Famer, seven Pro Bowls, six-time All-Pro, 137 and a half. I don't know how they ever get half sacks. I, I know you add up the statistics and you do the average and things like that. How do you get a half sack? You, you tackle half a guy? How does that work? You help someone else tackle? Anyway, John Randall was considered too small. Kurt Warner is a big name. Many people probably recognize his name. Uh, he was a drafted. He went to a small school in Northern Ireland. Worked at a grocery store after college and then played arena football. Then the NFL and Europe. And then the St. Louis Rams scout team. He went from the scout team player of the year in 1998 to the NFL player of the year in 1999 and Super Bowl MVP. In his time, he had the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd highest passing yards uh, total in Super Bowl history. Yet he came in the league on draft. One, I just threw him here because I love the story. Uh, they made a movie about him. His name is Vince Papali, and I did that just for a season and all you Eagle fans. But he was an Eagles uh, uh, a player back in the 70s. Um, he was a very athletic guy uh, in high school, ran track, played uh, multiple sports. 
I went to college, and they didn't have a football team, and so he ran track then. And, and so um, after college, he, uh, he plays with several minor league football teams, including the Philadelphia Bell, where he was a special teams uh, standout. And it's in this place that he got recognition uh, from the Eagles. By this time, though, he was older. Uh, he, was, he was in his late 20s. In fact, he lied about his age when he joined the Philadelphia Bell. Uh, said he was 24, but he was actually 28. And by the time that the Eagles discovered him and gave him a private workout, he was actually 30. He was considered the oldest rookie uh, on, on the team, or actually in NFL history, other than uh, a kicker. Because kickers, they get, they get up there and they still, because they just kick and, and they don't have to get beat up a whole lot. But, but they last a little longer than everybody else. Um, and he, he, was, he was 30 years old when he was uh, joined the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, like I said, he, um, they made a movie about it, Invincible. Great, great movie if you ever get to watch a movie. Uh, it, it's great. Have Mark Wahlberg playing his character. I love that movie. But all these guys, they went undrafted. They went unnoticed. Uh, maybe they didn't stand out in wherever they were, or maybe it was the particular school, or, or maybe it was their background, or more in this case, the color of the skin. Whatever it is, they, they go through all this adversity, and you can imagine how they feel seeing people join teams and, and seeing their dreams of playing in the big leagues kind of kind of not happen. So you can imagine what they're feeling. They feel uh, unnoticed, unworthy, um, not not capable. And all these things maybe come up simply because they weren't given a chance. They were undrafted. Today you might be wondering why in the world are we talking about all this football? Well, I'm just going to be I love football, and, and, and so we're going to hear that from time to time. But, but, but I want us to, to, to relate to this concept of undrafted, because maybe there's some of you in the room today, you feel like that sometimes. You feel undrafted. You feel uh, unnoticed. You feel unworthy. You feel like you, you're not a superstar. You're, you're not a standout. You, you see others that have giftings and abilities, and you, you're still trying to find your place in and your purpose. So you, you don't feel worthy uh, enough. You, maybe you even feel like because of things that have happened into your life, maybe some past mistakes or some experiences that you've gone through, maybe today you feel like, I don't even know if, if, if God sees me, if God hears me. I don't even know if he can use me because of the things that I've been through in my life. So I want to encourage you today to understand that God absolutely sees you. He was with you in your past. He was with you with, with whatever mistakes you made. He was with you with whatever you experienced. He's right here right now in this place today and he wants to meet with you right here with whatever you're feeling today and he wants you to know that you are noticed, that you are worthy, you were worth dying for, Jesus died for you, he has a plan and purpose for your life and it doesn't matter what you've been through, it matters what you make uh, today and to make your future out of and make that future with him because he's got a plan and purpose for your life. He wants to reach out to you today and he wants to speak to you through this message of undrafted today. Some of you may, you don't feel like you're good enough. You feel like you, you don't have that place to fit. Maybe you even feel like a failure at times. You might feel undrafted today. Maybe there's a reason that you feel like that. Maybe, uh, maybe like Kurt Warner, you know you can do it, but no one's really giving you a chance to shift. Maybe you feel like a, a Tony Romo where, where you're just in the, in the wrong place. Maybe, maybe someone considered you not, not good enough. Maybe you were told growing up, maybe you're just not going to amount to much of anything. They considered John Raymond too small. Warren Moon had to, to face the adversity of, uh, of racism. Maybe you're facing some adversity in your life today to where you feel like you're having a hard time. You feel unnoticed. When we feel unnoticed, when we feel unworthy, we're unmotivated. 
to really do anything, especially for God. It, it stinks to be undrafted. It stinks to be overlooked. It stinks to, to feel like maybe we're, we're not wanted or unworthy. Some people think in the church that God only wants the best. But that's far, far from the truth. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've been through in your life, you are still important to God. So important that Jesus died for you. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've done some things in your life. Maybe you've made some mistakes. That does not negate the plan and purpose that God still has for your life. That doesn't cancel those things out for you. That doesn't cancel out God's love for you. That doesn't love you any less because of that. So today, I want to shift your mindset. Today, I want to, I want to shift your heart. I want to focus your attention on God who saves. The perception about the church is that it's for perfect people. That's so, so untrue. That's so false. But the enemy will get that lie in people's heads where they will believe that I can't go to church because everybody's going to judge me. Man, here at TLC, nobody's perfect. Everyone is welcome, and this will change your life. Yeah. Don't feel like you're, you've messed up or you've done some things, and you may feel like, man, I, if I set foot in church, maybe you've had this thought, man, the, the roof's going to cave in, the place is going to burn down. You know, that's, that's not true. God wants you here. He wants to speak into your life. He wants you to have a life-changing experience. The perception is that the bar is where you go to have to deal with your problems. The bar is where you go to drown your sorrows with a bottle. To vent your issues with your buddies after work. But the bar is the place for your problems, and the church is the place to go when you're perfect. But God can make your mess into a miracle. God can make your message here here. You are valued. You are valuable. You are, you are worth it. You are worth saving. Your value is not based on your abilities. Your value is not based on anything that you have done or not done. But its place and, and, and its position is in Jesus Christ. How you feel about yourself is not the truth. How other people feel about you is not the truth. What is the truth is what God sees. He sees you. He knows you. He knew you before you were even born. And he has a plan and purpose for your life. Maybe you weren't voted most likely to succeed in high school. Remember when they did that? I don't know if they still do that anymore. Maybe you weren't voted most likely to succeed. Maybe, maybe you, you weren't even noticed a whole lot altogether. But God sees you. God has a plan for your life. So I want to encourage you today. If you're in this place. When you feel like you're, you're unworthy, you're unwanted, you don't have what it takes. Maybe you even question if there is a God, if he even sees you. Then I want to encourage you today that he absolutely sees you. He absolutely wants you. So I want to go through some stories in the Bible. It's a little bit different than what I would normally do and how I would teach. But I'm going to go through some different stories in, in the Old Testament. And I want to bring that come together in a very unique way. Uh, and then I want to bring that together. And so we're going to go through some different stories throughout the Old Testament. So you can turn to Genesis chapter 38, very first book of the Bible. You can't miss that one. All right? So don't feel like you, you, don't, you need to know where that is. That's right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 38 is where we're going to start. This is a, a person, a character in the Bible that, that no one really talks about. Because it's in a kind of a weird place. You have the story of Joseph and the dreams that he had and, and his brother uh, put him into to slavery. And then they have this story right in the middle. So most people, they kind of skip this story to continue on with the story of Joseph and how that, that ends up. But there's this story of Tamar that happens right here in verse 3. It's a little, it's probably the most awkward story in the Bible. 
So, so parents, if you have some teenagers in the room, um, don't make eye contact with them right now. Um, they, they may blush, or you may blush. I don't know. Like, but it's in the Bible, and it's the story of Tamar. So I want to read through that uh, for you. Let's read through that together uh, this morning. Jesus, we love you, God. I pray that, that you would move in this place in such an incredible way. God, that there would be people here in this room that, that maybe they, they feel like they're, they're just they're unworthy or unwanted. God, I pray today that is a day of salvation for them, that today is a day where all that changes, God, where the momentum in their life changes, Father God, where, where there's, they're, they're set up for a comeback right here today in their life, God, and they will come to a realization that you are real, that you love them, that you have a plan and purpose for their life. God, so speak in this place and by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's check this out. Judah and Tamar, Genesis chapter 38, starting verse 1 at a time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of a donkey named Tyre. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her, they loved her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son. Man, somebody needs to talk to them tell them how that stuff happens, right? She conceived again, gave birth to another son, and she gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at present that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother in law to raise up often for your brother. That was kind of a custom back then that, that they would take. Take their, their spouse if, if a, a brother or a sibling had died. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled semen onto the ground to keep from providing offering for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household to my son Shelah and up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Abdullamite, uh, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way, Timnah, to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that uh, though Shelah had not grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? She asked. He said, What pledge shall I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave uh, them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Uh, meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adullamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who uh, lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her eat what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter on Tamar is guilty of prostitution. As a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. 
Uh, she was being brought on. She sent a message to her follower. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize who's sealing cord and staff you are. Judah recognized him and said, she is more righteous than I, since I would give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and she was given birth. One of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on the wrist and said, this one came out first. But then, uh, but when he drew back from his hand, his brother came out, she said, so this is how you have broken it. Oh, this is how you broke it out. And his name was Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out. And he was named Zero. So this is some pretty Jerry Springer stuff going on right here, okay? This is some crazy stuff. It's in the Bible, right? You didn't know that, did you? This is some crazy stuff. And if you'll just read it, you'll, you'll find out. But this, this is an awkward story. It's weird. From beginning to end, there's some crazy stuff going on. The seal and the cord and the snap that was exchanged, that was like that was like his proof of identity. That was like his car, his driver's license, his ID, his passport. That was like it. So, so, so he was able to recognize when, when she brought that out in the end, right? It's like he was giving away his identity in that moment. You can imagine what she's kind of thinking. Like, you know, okay, like, this is supposed to happen. Like, I get my, my, my uh, husband's brother, and now he don't want to have kids with me, and, 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 and now she's sleeping with her father-in-law. Like, this, like, you can imagine how she may be feeling, or she, she might have been considered undraftable. But the next story we're going to go through is, is the story of Rahab. So you can turn to Joshua, <coughs> chapter 2. Joshua, chapter 2. Rahab was a, a prostitute. But she helped out some men that got on. So let's, let's go ahead and read that uh, story here. Chapter 2, starting verse 1. Then Joshua sent an unseekingly sent two spies from Shittim. You got to be careful how you say that. Be careful how you say that because that can be misread. Go look over the land and said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they had come to spy out the whole land. The woman had taken the two men and hid them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know uh, where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, she said. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hid them under the stalks of plots she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out and pursued the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate Shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to him, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God of heaven above. And on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, and then assure her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills. 
so the pursuers were not fine. Remind yourself, stay up three days until they return and go on your way. The men had said to her, this oath you made, I swear, will not be binding on us unless then we enter the land. You have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. So for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head and the hand is laid on them. But if you tell uh, what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she went down, uh, she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So here we have this situation. You know, as you, you know, God has given this land to the people, and now they're, they're going in to, to take this land, and, and they're here in this town, and, and this prostitute Rahab helps out these men of God. She was a prostitute, so, so who was she to ask for mercy based on her lifestyle, based on, uh, we, we don't know why she was that, we, you know, we, we don't know what her past is, she obviously has, has a past, she has some things going on in her life, but, but she may have considered undraftable. The story of Ruth, another familiar story. In Ruth chapter 3, she was out of place. She was a Moabitess, acting like a Jew. She reached out for help, and, and her kinsman, Redeemer, Boaz, helped her. She may have been considered undraftable. Many of you know this story. The story of Bathsheba. Bathsheba, uh, and, and we know her to, to have had a relationship with David. David's out on a, on, a, on a outlook over his city. When kings are supposed to be away at war, they're supposed to be fighting. Here he finds him in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and he lays eyes on Bathsheba, who's taking a bath. And, and, and he allows his thought life, because that's usually where sin begins. And he allows his thought life to, to overtake him. And... and Obviously can't control himself. Sins for her to come. He sleeps with her. She ends up getting pregnant. I'm paraphrasing this, obviously. Basically has her husband sent to the front lines of, of the battle, the fight where he knows he'll die. And many of you know this whole story. While this may not have been that she was choosing, you can, can think about everything that went down through that story and think, man, wow. What, what could she have been thinking? What could she maybe have gone through? She may be considered undraftable. Why are all these stories, even in the Bible with Tamar, you know, you have the, the second child, had the scarlet for Rahab. Uh, it was a scarlet cord that saved her with Ruth. She had to be purchased back by a kinsman redeemer, which is a foreshadow of Jesus redeeming us. With Bathsheba, her son had to die before she could become the mother of Solomon because that was the punishment for, for David and what he did in that situation. These were all considered undraftable. Maybe even considered the least likely to succeed. Un unworthy. Unnoticed. But guess what? These all tie together in a very unique... You know where else they're finding in the Bible? Go to Matthew chapter 1. A, 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 a place, a passage that we don't normally read through because it's a bunch of people's names. And it's like, well, we've got to know all these people's names. But where we find all of these people's names, where we find what's considered maybe undraftable, where we find people that are maybe considered uh, unworthy, we find them in the genealogy of Jesus. Come on, read, read through this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This is the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. The son of Abraham, 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was who? Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of uh, Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, who was Bathsheba. See where they all come in together here, they tie in together. See, God chose them to be the lineage of his son, Jesus Christ. While they may have been considered undraftable, unworthy because of maybe their past, because of who they were, where and how they were living, God chose them to be in the lineage of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, who is the king, who is your savior today. God reached into all of their mess and he pulled out the Messiah. It doesn't matter how messed up you are today. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God wants you. He loves you. He chooses you. He is willing to drop you. If you'll simply surrender your life, if you'll surrender your past, if you'll surrender your mistakes, if you'll surrender the things that you've been through, if you will give your life to Christ, He wants you, and He will use you for a greater plan and purpose. God uses imperfect people who have issues. Come on, we can look all around the room. Ain't none of us perfect in this room. We all have issues. We've all got stuff. We've all got a past. All of us. You got mistakes. I got mistakes. You got a past. I got a past. God wants to call you. God wants to use you. God chooses you. He loves you and he uses imperfect people who have issues. God uses the flawed and the forgiven to carry out his plan and his purposes. And God is much more concerned with your availability than your ability. He is much more concerned about, are you willing to surrender your life? Are you willing to say yes to God? Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't, doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what your abilities are now. Because I believe there are, there are seeds that are in your life that God wants to pull out and grow in you. You just haven't realized it yet. God is much more concerned with your availability than your ability. Are you just willing and able and, and, and to, to give your life and lay it down to Jesus? Man, if the world will pass you by, then you're a perfect candidate for God to use. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says, Brother, speak of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Not many, the disciples, they weren't learned people. Those people that Jesus chose to be his team weren't educated in it. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Some of you know this. Some of you, some of you have experienced God's love. Some of you have experienced God's grace. Some of you know that you were a mess, but God reached out and He saved you and, and He reached uh, you out of the pit and put your feet on solid ground. Many of you know this. So, if anything, this is a reminder. This should help you uh, fall in love with Jesus 
all over again. But maybe there's some of you in the room today, you feel unworthy. You feel, you feel undrafted. You feel, you feel like you can't be used, that God can't, can't use you, that God, God doesn't have a plan for you. Maybe you feel like, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm too far gone for God to do anything with, but the grace of God is so powerful and it's so great that we can't run from it. There's some of you today, you need to do this and you need to receive this. So what's your story going to be? What's your story going to be Today, is it going to be what everybody thinks it's going to be? Is it going to be what everybody saw on you when you were in high school or when you were growing up? Is it going to be what that person said and spoke over that eye that someone spoke over your life today? Is it going to be what everybody thought it would be? Or are you going to choose to change all that today? Are you going to choose to change all that? Oh, worship team, you guys can come on up. Listen, football is all about momentum. It's all about momentum. Really? A lot of times what decides who is going to win is which team has the most momentum. And there's a lot of factors that, that, that play into momentum. Sometimes a fumble can, 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 can cause some momentum, depending on what team picks it up. That can cause a team to lose momentum, or that can cause a team to gain momentum. Sometimes it's a penalty. Sometimes it's, it's a penalty that, that causes a shift, because maybe it's a, 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 a big penalty that happens at the right time in the game that shifts Momentum from your team to the other team. There's other factors, there's other things that, that maybe play into this. Whether things are going right or going wrong for a team can, can change the momentum of a game. Maybe there's some of you in the room today, you need a change of momentum in your life. You need a shift. You need something to, to break. You need that breakthrough that we sang about earlier earlier today. You, you need a shift. You, you need something to, to change. You need some momentum in your life. Maybe there have been some costly penalties in your life for mistakes and bad decisions. Maybe you fumbled the ball a few times in this life, fumbled opportunities or, or fumbled some different things in your life. Maybe you've grown tired of things not seeming to go your way today. You need a shift. Something has got to change that. Can I tell you that that change, that shift is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that's going to shift in your life. It's the only thing that's going to move you forward in this life. It's the only thing that, that's going to negate the things that you've done in the past, the mistakes that you've made. It's the only thing that calls you worthy when you feel unworthy. And no matter what the world says, no matter what, what you think about yourself, no matter what the enemy tries to throw in your face, it only matters what God thinks about you. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. Come on, stand with me this morning. If that's you today, you need a shift. You need to turn your life to Christ. You need to put your focus on Him. You need to give your life to Christ today. I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to turn away from your past, to turn away from those things that are causing you to feel unworthy, to simply say yes to Jesus. If you can bow your hands and close your eyes, Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. If you'd like more info about our church, if you'd like to make a donation to our ministry here at Transforming Life, go to www.tlchurchpc.com. If you haven't been to our church yet, we would love to meet you. Come by for a life-changing experience. God bless.